You're listening to an EG Property Podcast special on ESG. I'm Tim Burke, EG's Deputy Editor. You're about to hear the keynote speech from our ESG Breakfast Briefing held earlier this month. In it, Tom Wilcock, Director of Innovation at Hollis, talks about the real estate industry's failure to get to grips with the climate crisis, the meaningless arguments that have slowed progress in tackling the ESG agenda's biggest challenges, and why, when there's any choice to be made in the built environment, we must come down on the side of the environment. It's a short listen, but I promise you'll come away with something to think about. For anyone who has school kids, this is a time for celebration. The longest summer holiday on record is over, and we get to work from home in peace again. Last weekend, it became apparent that, over the long break, my nine-year-old had forgotten almost all of her times tables. This didn't seem like a great way to start year five. So I suggested she go up to her room for an hour, write them all down, and then come down for a test. The incentive was that if she did well, I'd make her a hot chocolate. An hour later, down she came looking very pleased with herself. She proceeded to get half the sums wrong. So I asked what she'd been doing since two o'clock. Smiling happily, she explained she'd spent ages sharpening a pencil just right. She added that getting half right was surely enough for a small hot chocolate. <laughs> and that, in a nutshell, is exactly the same issue we have when it comes to the environment. On one hand, we spend too, we, we spend too much time, too long focusing on minor, and let's face it, fairly unimportant details. And on the other, we have a very flexible and inconsistent measure of what success actually entails. So let's start with the big picture and quote a very sensible chap, Paul Polman, the former chief executive of Unilever. The two biggest challenges that need to be address addressed are climate change and inequality. They are closely related. We are at the point where the cost of inaction is higher than the cost of action, and we're sleeping on the wheel. Global warming is happening, fact, and it's incontrovertible that man-made CO2 is causing it. The effects are now coming in waves of extremes, more frequent and more violent storms, scorched land susceptible to more wildfires, the paradoxical-sounding combination of, of increased drought and greater risk of flooding. The world's policymakers are aiming to limit the planet's warming to one and a half degrees centigrade by 2100. They hope this will limit the impact of heat, wind and fire. But if, as is very probable, it exceeds one and a half, the tropics currently home to 43% of the world's population, could see air temperatures increase beyond the limits the human body can withstand. Storms will become more violent and damaging, and the world's coral reefs will die. 
And it's not as if three degrees, for example, will simply be twice as bad as one and a half. The nightmare scenario is that the consequences grow exponentially and that the unheard of will become commonplace. It may not be an upbeat start to the day, but we need to agree that we are in crisis, which means something needs to be done. And that also requires perspective. Greenhouse gases are primarily created in three ways. And even my daughter is already aware of all three at school, even if she needs a little reminder this week. Because they are physics, the way we produce energy, chemistry, the industrial processes it goes through, and biology, its use in and impact on agriculture. And somehow, to meet the initial goal of one and a half degrees C, we need to remove up to 10 gigatons of CO2 from the atmosphere annually by 2050, moving up to 20 gigatons by 2100. If you find it hard to think in gigatons, suffice to say, it's a colossal amount. And although one day there may be a magic carbon tree that does the hard work, current technology is far from being able to work at the scale required. And even if it was announced tomorrow, there's a several decade lag between the cause and effect of CO2 emissions. Temperatures would still rise by 0.6 degrees centigrade before they stabilized. What about nuclear fusion, I hear you ask? Every single star in the cosmos uses it, but we haven't, caught just, we haven't quite caught up. People joke that it will take 30 years to commercialize and always will. In February, the Jet Lab in Oxfordshire produced 59 megajoules of heat energy in a single fusion shot that lasted for five seconds. The energy released is enough to heat about 60 kettles of water. It's amazing science, but currently just a pinprick on our future requirements. All this means that sitting back and waiting for a magic solution isn't viable. We have to change. And every one of us working in and around property, we need to be aware just how big a contributor to the problem our industry remains. The production of cement clinker alone accounts for 3% of all global production of greenhouse gases per annum. And that's just the chemical process. The production of iron and steel accounts for 7.2%. Energy use in buildings accounts for 17.5%. Add all these little bits together, and it adds up to 40% of the world's CO2 problem is created by building, developing, and using buildings. It's a gigantic problem. But we seem to be approaching it a little like my daughter and her times tables. Our pencil sharpening takes many forms. We waste so much time arguing about definitions. I fear that few of us can confidently state what net zero means. Are we aiming for carbon neutrality or zero emissions? Say I heat my old home with solar panels that, char that charges a large battery, where do I sit? How does our country's net zero target by 2050 relate to our day-to-day -day decisions? We debate greenwashing, green exchanges, green ideas. We shout about our green credentials, but often by our own success criteria. So it's hard to know just what constitutes something good enough to earn a hot chocolate. 
as I try to explain to my daughter, seven times six is 42. It can't be 42 for some people, 40 for a subset, and then vary to allow fringe views of zero and a million. We have to agree on a standard definition of what we're aiming for, and then seek real compliance and change through regulation and taxation. So where are we right now? According to RICS, we have already built 80% of the buildings we will use in 2050. And as we all know, that includes many of the oldest and least energy efficient houses in Europe. EPCs are performance estimates, not measures. If we look back at the Better Buildings Partnership Report of 2012, in one instance, an E-rated building used less energy than a B-rated building. And on average, an EPC-E-rated buildings were less energy intense than both EPC-C and D-rated buildings. Go figure. People realised during COVID that the virus didn't care if people sat in two tables of six or four tables of three. It just infected as many as it could. Likewise, the climate doesn't care whether you have a B or a D rating. It just reacts badly to CO2. So let's measure CO2 output from building usage in a building, energy usage in a building, or the more obvious ratio for energy intensity, kilowatt hours per meter squared per year. It's bizarre that we're using theoretical models of how a building should perform particularly as banks are now potentially going to use them as a measure on whether or not to lend for mortgages. To satisfy the models, we have, in some instances, created warm, airless boxes that still have high concentrations of CO2. That's not great for our health or cognitive ability, let alone our emissions levels. MEES, Minimum Energy Efficiency Standards, Compliance, means that Although not yet codified in law, all non-residential buildings will need to achieve an EPCB by the 1st of April 2030. That, from today, is 1,974 working days away. Less than 2,000 working days. But we have a new Prime Minister, potentially a new government within two years, each with votes to win and short-term challenges to overcome. Will they launch an operational energy scheme for large buildings, as some expect? Will they focus on solar Will they f or nuclear? Does, uh, does hydrogen play a part in this? Or just decide that in the interests of cost of living, we stop worrying about the climate for now and reopen power stations to ensure we can keep warm this winter? It's a terrible burden on an elected political leader. Because sacrificing the short term for a long term fight against climate change won't be a vote winner. But by the time it is, we may be too late. Worrying solely about this winter really is the equivalent of outstanding pencil sharpening before a big exam. So what can we do? Rather than waiting and having philosophical arguments about definitions and measurements, we need to act. 
Rather than building prop tech solutions to complete deals a few minutes faster, or a shiny tenant engagement app to enable a tenant to book yoga a week on Thursday in the boardroom, we need to act. Sadly, they will not solve climate change. We've got so many boring, mundane problems that we need to solve. How can we take the logical reaction to a massive problem? By doing something here and now to solve it. Well, we need to roll up our sleeves and start learning our times tables. It's unexciting and labor-intensive. But we have the capability to make a real difference by asking how we can effectively insulate old buildings cheaply, decarbonize heating and cooling of buildings, inexpensively get data out of buildings, optimize the kit we've already got, build standard data sets for buildings. For example, and this is really simple, what, what, is the price, what is the precise condition and location of a door? We don't know that. Pricing the environmental impact of concrete and cement so it makes sense to replace them where possible. The challenges we face are vast, and we need to have that perspective at all times. When there's any choice, we come down on the side of the environment. To quote Paul Polman once again, we don't need more PhDs. We don't need more people to go to Pluto or Mars to find the answer. What we need is human willpower. The simple question to ask ourselves is, do we really care? My answer is that we have no choice. The times table test is almost upon us. And every minute we waste arguing about which tables matter, which pencil we use, or how sharp it is, is a minute that could be spent saving the planet. Thank you so much for your time.